In Australia, we, we had guns, right? Right up until 1996. And in 1996, Australia had the biggest massacre on earth. Still hasn't been beaten. And <laughs> now, after that, they banned the guns. Now, in the 10 years before Port Arthur, there was 10 massacres. Since the gun ban in 1996, there hasn't been a single massacre since. I don't know how or why this happened. Uh, maybe it was a coincidence. And now it's time for the Techie U Drive at Five with Robin Vouters and Dan Taylor. Let's do this. Well, all right, all right, all right. You have found it. This is the Techie U Drive at Five. I am your host, Dan Taylor. And we are the summit you're looking for. I was actually recording that. <laughs> I know. Oh, God. Well, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is what I've been faced with this week. Uh, Pre show, you might have heard. Uh, some immortal words. I think they're immortal. Every time America has a shooting, which is what, every two or three days now, I try my best to push that clip on the tweeters or wherever I can. But uh, our man of the hour, Robin, actually went to see Jim Jeffries in Antwerp. I was told Antwerp to get it right. I don't know what the difference between Brussels and Antwerp is. But Robin, in 30 seconds or less, give us your full recap of Mr. Jeffries on stage Oh, it's impossible to do that in 30 seconds. But if you ever have a chance to see Jim Jeffries, the Australian comedian, live, he's absolutely hilarious. He's really good. Uh, his opening act is really good. And his podcast is also really good. I don't know about that, it's called. And it's very, very informative and very entertaining. And she did promise. I, I, I'm not sure she promised, but I'm going to make her do it on air. Kate's going to give us her thickest Aussie accent saying something very Australian. Oh, man. Pull your fucking head in, mate. <laughs> Could you translate that for us? What, what would be the uh, colloquial usage of that? Um, if someone's being a um, being a bit of a moron, basically, and maybe they're being irresponsible, you, you, you could say it to a politician, for example, doing something dodgy. Politicians? That's the other word, irresponsible? Never. All right, listen, I'm going to rein it in. I'm going to corral the cats. Kate, let's talk tech. Uh, speaking of cats, uh, Kate almost got overshadowed by the upcoming summit. Robin, when is the summit? Wednesday, 24 May, Brussels Expo. Thank you for asking. Kate had a look at pets and hardware and pet hardware and hard pets. Yeah, it's going off. This space is exploding. Like, you might think pet tech, we're just talking about a bit of food, you know, some treats, but it's like insurance, it's digital, um, it's remote care, it's all kinds of stuff. And one area that's kind of just getting nice, getting really going is hardware. And I think what's really interesting here is when we're talking about pet tech and hardware, you know, building hardware is always hard. Like, you know, how do you test it? How do you deploy it? Um, how do you get the, the user engagement? All this kind of stuff. And when it comes to pets, it's even harder because how do we test um, hardware on a they pet don't stay menu? still? I mean... Oh, yeah, there's that too. But it's also just, I mean, I think the really interesting thing is here, I wanted to learn a bit about, well, yeah, how do you do that? So I actually contacted a woman, um, Sarah Weber, who's an academic at the University of Melbourne, which is where I went to university. And she's a lecturer in human-computer interaction. Um, and she's focused on designing better tech for humans, but also animals. So she does a lot of research in this, you know, computer interaction, um, looking at particularly um, hardware and orangutans at the Melbourne Zoo, where they use um, hardware as a way to engage the animals and to improve their 
I don't know, to entertain and to engage and to keep them interesting. And a big part of this is what's called participatory design, which is like how do you design um, hardware so that an animal can provide input and feedback for prototypes mm. and, and so on. So basically there's a couple of companies I interviewed, Go Doggo, they're doing sort of this really interesting stuff um, where they're using tech to basically um, keep dogs um, engaged at home using the home TV and a treat dispenser. So the dog is required to respond to commands on um, that it sees on the... Um, they have to respond to commands to get fed? Totally. Yeah, so it's a little motivational thing. And they use a lot of computer vision to identify the um, the dog's movements so they know when to give it a treat and stuff like that. But it was a really funny interview because the um, the person, Hani Jama, who's the um, CEO, would, would be talking to me and then she would put on the dog voice. So she'd be like, and then we go, good dog. And then we do this. So it was this really weird kind of interaction. But super interesting. The other one I would tell you to check out if you have a kitty cat <laughs> like myself is um, Moggy. Moggy is currently kickstarting their wearable tech. And it's basically a wearable device that will track your pet's movements, sleeping, things like that. And so the aim here is to identify changes in behavior, which may signify a hidden illness. So very cool. Um, and I think that they give a really good example of how you can do um, pet-centric testing. For example, they, they've really made it so that the comfort of the pet is front in mind with the um, the size of the wearable, for example. They've gone for a, a, you know, a smaller one, which means less battery life, but it's more comfortable for the animal. Super good. The other story I wanted to put um, put out there is um, Camovator, which is very hard to say. Camovator is Bass B A S F Bass. How you say it? B, do you, do you say Bass? Service. Yes. I may be saying that wrong, but um, I'm sure you can work out the um, intention there. Like this is a big old ass company and they've now opened the doors to startups. So they've had this incubator, this internal incubator, which is what a lot of German companies do um, as a way to kind of get innovation within their um, space. And now they're looking for chemical deep tech industrial startups who really want to get into it. I think the way uh, reason I really like this is because one of the biggest problems and pain points for startups in this space is getting that traction early on with customers and things like that. Um, like, for example, I know an industrial startup that when they were, you know, trying to really reach out to people in manufacturing, like the people on the factory floor, is they would um, go there for all their smoking breaks and they would start smoking as a way to, a way to, um, <laughs> to network. So now you don't have to do that. Basically, Camovator has got this, you know, really great <laughs> incubator for the startups for them for them you know and what what i like about it is they've already had success with this their employees have already you know presented a bunch of ideas i think it was like 200 um 30 of which were accepted into you know came to life with um projects within the company but there was also three teams that spun out with their own startups so you know if you, if that's not a good way to build a you know something from a, a big a big company to outside innovation i don't know what is that's really cool yeah 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 i mean uh i, I just i love the name of it it's not an incubator it's not an innovator it's a chemovator so you yeah. can stop smoking and and build companies hey i mean i i stopped smoking oh gosh robin when's the last time you saw me with a cigarette no don't answer that question i did have a cigarette in uh in uh where were we istanbul right i took one drag and went yeah no 
I did. I, 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 I like to remind myself every so often why oh, I don't yes. smoke anymore. And I took one drag on that cigarette and went, yep, that, that, is, that is why I don't <laughs> smoke. All right. Well, keeping pets uh, healthy, uh, fed, and, and disease-free. I'm looking at my dog right now. He's, he's just not interested in signaling for any food. Actually, I think he does have a signal for food. It's always that's that's the that's the signal for the food. Go check out Kate's pet tech article and uh, as well as the chemivator. Um, I believed I used one of those back in university, but it wasn't for incubating any startup companies. I want to talk about three things this week and I'm going to do them fast. I promise. I know I say that every week. Uh, I'll do it in one line for the first one. Uh, Techie U, we stand in solidarity with CNET journalists. Shit, two lines. If you don't know what I'm talking about, they are uh, unionizing against AI, taking away their jobs. Go check that out. A link in the show notes. One of the coolest things I saw all week, the BBC published a uh, 3D scans, which were done by Magellan Limited in the summer of 2022. It's 700,000 photos, individual photos of the Titanic, each taken and then assembled into a 3D scan. And you can nerd out to your heart's content to see what an ill-fated ship looks like lying at the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean. I know. And it's, it's a so bit morbid, small. But, but it, You know, <laughs> compared to the big-ass cruise ships you've got today, it's tiny. Tiny. Yeah, did you see that photo of the, in front of the cruise ship? Mm. Mental. Yeah, 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 yeah. So head on over to the BBC to check that one out. And then, of course, and I do have to say, they do also win the award for worst timing for marketing message ever. <laughs> Our friends at Revolut... Uh, sent out a, a marketing message today that said, uh, if it looks too good, it probably is too good. And of course, what I'm talking about is uh, the story that broke in the Telegraph yesterday, where it was reported that the Bank of England is, uh, well, they're not going to give them the banking license that they were hoping for, which uh, they started the campaign back in 2021. Uh, apparently, the PRA, or the Prudential Regulation Authority, said that it had concerns over the company's balance sheet, specifically about overdue accounts that were uncovered, shall we say, during this qualified audit. Now, there is a difference between a qualified audit and an unqualified audit. Head over to Google. It's a fascinating read. <laughs> At the time, Revolut's commentary was that the auditor's concerns were over revenues and not the balance sheet. Oops. But uh, the Telegraph was quick to highlight that uh, not all hope is lost and that the PRA has told Revolut, quote, to produce a set of accounts with an unqualified audit, again, Google, option, and to simplify its share structure before a license could be granted. Ah, uh, yeah. Okay. Well, this news also follows the fact that just this year, uh, Revolut has lost at least, and I counted five, high-level executives, least of which being the company's CFO, Miko Salovara. I'm going to say Salovara. Robin, you probably know him. And that was that was last week, wasn't that it? That was last week. Interesting so, timing in it. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, it doesn't, that, that doesn't, uh, it doesn't sound good. I mean, who has a Revolut account? Everybody? I have a Revolut account. Me. Right. Of course. Of course. Nope. Kate, Kate does not have a, okay. No, I have an N26. Uh, ooh, Wow outlier. However, not having the license doesn't really affect Revolut's current status. They could carry on business as usual. However, if they did get the banking license, that would allow them to uh, start issuing mortgages and loans, uh, which again, according to the Telegraph report, were uh, garnered about 30% of Revolut's revenues back in 2021. And just as a reminder, uh, Revolut is uh, estimated to be the UK's largest fintech. 
they've raised $1.7 billion to date. They're backed by SoftBank and Tiger Global, just to name a few. Uh, and at one time, they were valued at $33 billion. However, most recently, Schroeder's, which is also a massive investor in Revolut, uh, they recently pulled back their estimations and valued the company at around $18 billion. As well, at the very, very tail end of the Telegraph article, they did quote that the company founder, Nick Storonsky, has said that Britain's bureaucracy has made it an unattractive place to do business and that he has contemplated moving the company elsewhere if a license was not issued. Brexit is awesome. Moving on. Robin, (laughs) in other news... Just to answer your question, I think they were operating under a license that they achieved in the EU, I think in Lithuania, uh, if I'm not mistaken, okay. which was sort of grandfathered right. into other EU countries, but obviously not the UK. Mm, okay. Uh, so that's the reason. Brexit is awesome. Speaking of Revolut, uh, Revolut is one of the investments by a certain investment company called Seedcamp. Woohoo! Who doesn't know Seedcamp, right? So they were started about 15 years ago. Uh, which is around the time I started dabbling in tech journalism as well. So I feel like I've I've sort of grown up alongside the European tech ecosystem uh, together with Seedcamp. So in the beginning, they were very much sort of a Y Combinator style accelerator, uh, very quickly started calling themselves a seed fund rather than an accelerator, and now a proper VC fund, right? So uh, they've invested in close to 500 companies to date. Uh, that includes the likes of Revolut, uh, but also UiPath, TransferWise, Sorare, Clio, WeFox, Hopin, and all of these other scale-up names that we know very well around here. This week, word got out that more than 200 investors have poured over $180 million into the investment firm's new fund, which is its sixth raise to date. Uh, the cash influx comes from a mix of traditional LPs uh, and VCs, but also entrepreneurs, many of which uh, were, of course, backed by Seedcamp early in their journeys, and they stay very close to the investment firm. Um, Seedcamp will continue, of course, with its signature early stage pan-European sector agnostic approach. Uh, and the new fund will allow it to lead rounds with ticket sizes up to a million dollars, as well as reserving a portion for follow-on rounds up to Series B. Uh, interestingly, as has become sort of an annual tradition for them, well, not an annual, I guess, like a fundraising tradition for them, is that they've published their fundraising deck uh, in public for those who are interested. So you can take a look at that at their webs- on their website. Um, also note that Natasha Litton from Seedcamp will be joining the TechU Summit next week here in Brussels. Uh, she's epic. If you've never met her, she's, she's pretty awesome. She runs all things uh, brand, network strategy, and everything post-investment at Seedcamp, um, basically creating the infrastructure and running the team that supports its portfolio of now 460-plus companies. So she's uh, she's seen a lot, and she's going to share some of that on stage. Also worth noting, I said I, I started my... My blogging career sort of uh, alongside Seedcamp when they started. I'm not the only one. Uh, Mike Butcher this week, um, when he wrote about the new fund over at TechCrunch, said that his first day as a UK-based journalist for TechCrunch, or his first full-time day, was around the time that Seedcamp had its first demo day or opening uh, launch wow. event or whatever it was. So uh, that's uh, quite good timing. And he's written an interesting post on TechCrunch about Seedcamp's new fund um, and its quote-unquote networked approach uh, to fundraising. So highly advised not to just check out our post on the subject, but also Mike. Very good. Yeah, I, I mean, I've, I've, I've photographed, I think, I, you know, back in my time, we've all sort of grown up with Seedcamp, right? I mean, I, I think I even said it in my article that... Uh, yeah, they've enshrined their place in in history because you can't talk about European tech without talking about Seed Camp at some point. 
Oh yes, my, my, my. I, ha- I almost forgot this, but I have to put a disclaimer here because one of the partners at Seedcamp, Carlos Espinal, was also one of the original angel investors in TechEU, I have to note. Uh, he's no longer a shareholder, but I have to say that just to, uh, for complete disclosure. Thank you. The legal department is now satisfied. <laughs> thanks, legal department. <laughs> All right. Thanks, legal. <laughs> Robin has actually said to me recently, I am the legal department at TechEU. So. <laughs> I did not say that. Yeah. Well, listen, uh, thanks for that, Robin, and congratulations to SeedCamp. Um, you know, I, I, I don't... I don't say that we have, a, you know, each one of us here on the editorial team, I wouldn't say that we have a beat per se. I mean, we all cover everything. But if there are angles to be taken, I would say that Fiona is our Irish correspondent. And this week, uh, she covered a whole lot of, I mean, we've all been preparing like crazy for the summit. When is the summit, Robin? It's a Wednesday, 24 May, Brussels Expo. Thank you for asking. And uh, in the midst of preparing for that summit, Fiona has managed to stay on top of the Irish news. So g- heading over to the Emerald Isle now, although she's in Tallinn, <laughs> Fiona, what's what's shaking in Ireland? I, I'm just going Irish this week because next week I'll be at Latitude. So I'm going to be back to all Estonian for the next couple of weeks. So, um, But in Ireland, there was a fake news article um, posted in the Irish Times, which I have a great affinity with that paper. It gave me my first gig as a freelancer. And um, it was really sad to see, but more sad because I actually fell for it too. So the article was posted um, and I read the tweet by the um, the editor that put out and it was kind of one of those tweets where you're going to jump on it and be like oh I need to read this article because it was about fake tanning which um, Irish girls do a lot because they're so white I suppose <laughs> um, but they <laughs> they fake tan and um, and it was suggested that that may be cultural appropriation and that Irish girls do have a bit of problem like an obsession with fake tan which I'm not going to die. I think they do anyway um, so straight away everyone is jumping on this and reading it a lot of people only read tweets and retweet and they don't read the article but I read the article full article and by the time I got to the end of it I genuinely was like, I don't know which way I stand with this. That was so balanced. And I thought it was a really good read. And um, then I actually, Kate, and I had a a short discussion about it as well, because obviously she's seen it and was like, what is going on here? Um, But then Irish journalist Rosanna Cooney spotted that there was um, a lot of chatter about it on um, Reddit. So... um, Basically, people wondering had it been written by a human, and then also the image was sus. Now, when I read it, I did think, why did this person put a blue image, blue filter over their image? Um, I think you thought the same as well, didn't you, Kate? Like when you read it, but yeah, it was a very strange image, like a filter or something. And then, as it turns out, it was actually pulled from the site, and then they've come back and said that there was aspects of it or something that wasn't right and that was fake and whatever. So, um, first of all, not only did I fall for it, but also it was an opinion piece. I should have thought better and thought, like, who writes in a, ba- a balanced opinion piece? <laughs> like, you're having an opinion or you're not. So, seriously. But also, I feel really bad um, because the the um general connell who is the editor she's only in that position a wet week like she literally has just been made the opinions editor 
um, the Irish Times and this has happened. So it's been um, a bit of a baptism of fire for her. But anyway, so that was about that. Um, I also wanted to mention um, that Evie Ring, um, guys, you might not be that interested in this, but I'm sure that there's some women out there have been following when this ring is going to be launched. So it's kind of a competitor, I suppose, to the um, Aura Ring which I have on right now, um, but it's going to be for specifically for women. It's women's health, uh, particularly around perimenopause and menopause. I am delighted to see that there's going to be something like more tech in that area because it's something that's stressing me and my friends out. So I think it's going to be really good. Um, the good thing about this is like with my aura ring, they are starting to do more women's health and whatever. I don't find it supports me, but then they do have some apps that they're partnering with and you can. But um, with Evie Ring, it's all going to be um, on the Evie Ring. And there's no subscription as well. And I think that they said it's going to be like $289, which probably makes it slightly cheaper oh. than the Aura Ring. Um, the fact it's got no subscription is amazing too. But unfortunately, they have uh, announced that they're launching in September, but it's only in the US. I personally am disappointed because I was hoping that we were going to have some kind of a European launch as well um, because they actually do have bringing it back to Ireland and um, they do have like a team in Ireland and um, they're in one of the I can't remember the name of it sorry but they're in one of the like innovation hubs for medical devices in Ireland so um, I did expect that anyway but that's really good news and then talking about more good news in Ireland um, the um, Elkstone announced that they have closed their 100 million euro early stage venture fund. Um, so that's really good news for startups. They've already um, invested some of the funds into some startups like MedTechs, like Blue Drops Medical and Meg, and also Output Sport, which um, if you do check it out, it's actually a really decent startup. I'm really a fan of theirs at the moment because they were really in-depth with some training metrics. Um, Elkstone um, Venture Capital, you may have heard of them before. If not, you'll know the companies that they've invested in, uh, making them unicorns. And also, they have invested in a drone delivery service called Mana, who we all know at this stage after talking about them for three weeks now or four weeks on the podcast <laughs> bobby healy is the founder and he's going to be at the tech.eu summit on the 24th of may talking to our kate on stage about last mile delivery and please that is my segue you're welcome <laughs> thank you fiona hey robin when is that tech eu summit <laughs> so wednesday 24 may in brussels expo thank you for asking Right. Well, again, thank you, Fiona. I mean, it seems like uh, all guns are blazing in Ireland. Uh, I mean, great. That awesome. I mean, I, really, I have nothing. I mean, fake tan, not good. Uh, women's health ring, <laughs> good. Elkhorn with a hundred million, good. Uh, and again, look, Elkhorn, Elk Stone, Elkhorn, Elk Stone, Elkhorn, Elk, Elk, Elk. Can you eat elk? Hey, if they get many more unicorns, they could actually change their oh. name, couldn't they? Elkhorn. Yeah. Elkstone, you're welcome. You heard it here first. <laughs> well, listen, I want to loop back to the fact that we don't have beats, and most of us don't have rhythm either, but... <laughs> 
<laughs> but that joke, that joke. Hey, you're welcome. I, I, I'm not a dad, but I am of the age. Maybe Nick is trying to work these dad jokes in, and I just haven't noticed because this week in the show notes, he's titled his section "Eye of the Tiger," and that's AI of the <laughs> Tiger. So again, we don't have beats, but a guest of the show and and quickly becoming friend of the show, Nick Stevens is going to break it down. What happened in the world of AI? You know, not much, really, probably. But what happened in the world of AI this week, Nick? Yeah, it was actually a really quiet week in AI this week. What really? <laughs> Only six stories? Yeah, no, All right? Yeah, yeah, no, and and that was the pick of the crop. Um, I think the most important one to follow up on is something that uh, Robin actually mentioned in our show last week that was kind of breaking news at that point, but nobody had had time to read it. And that is, of course, the EU Artificial Intelligence Act that was uh, passed through committee last Thursday. Uh, people have had a chance to read it now. It's 144 pages long. I obviously did not read 144 pages of for you, but I can tell you it's um, pretty much... Uh, basket of crap. You, you, you can swear on the show, um, Nick. Yeah. Uh, clusterfuck, dumpster fire, you know, these are all the words that uh, other people are using on Twitter. Other people. And and it's interesting. I can imagine that, you know, uh, putting together regulation is incredibly hard. I had a few people who uh, uh, commented to me that have come from that background and they say it's actually pretty amazing how fast, like lightning fast the EU is moving on this. You think they're using AI to craft the legislation? It, it, it might be hallucinating. Yes, this could be, but no, I hope not. That would be ironic at best. Um, and, you know, essentially it boils down to a, a few things that uh, basically any American company running large uh, uh, LLMs or AI, so think, you know, OpenAI, Amazon, Google, IBM, et cetera, et cetera, uh, will be unable to provide API access to any of their generative AI models, chat GPT, et cetera, to anyone in Europe without going through um, extensive and expensive licensing and uh, the type of uh, fines that are being discussed if they uh, fail to do that are whichever is greater, starting at 20 million uh, euros or 4% of annual worldwide revenue, Shit. which you can imagine for a company like Google is uh, substantially more than 20 million. Um, what's also a little bit challenging in there is that uh, it covers everything right down to tiny open source companies who are doing things like hosting, you know, tiny little uh, super helpful AI apps on things like GitHub. Um, mm. GitHub would actually be the ones to uh, um, also get involved with getting massive, massive fines, mm. not just the local uh, company. So it's it's problematic. It's, you know, it's not uh, uh, put through to regulation yet. That'll happen sometime later this year. But it does feel very uh, anti-competitive. It feels very much like if it ain't made in the EU, it ain't going to happen. Do you think this is a classic case of regulators not understanding what they're regulating? I, I think it's difficult. And that leads really nicely into my next story. So I'll just tell you about that. Um, and that was the CEO of OpenAI, Sam Altman, formerly of Y Combinator, of course, stood uh, in uh, Congress uh, this week. And I believe he did that voluntarily. Uh, it wasn't uh, that he was called in such as other tech CEOs have been. And um, he's actually been, you know, very um, open about saying we need regulation in the U.S. And, and maybe further afield to regulate this fast-moving AI technology industry. Um, and he said, you know, I, I think, and I quote, I think if this technology goes wrong, it can go quite wrong. And we want to be very vocal about that. We want to work with government to pretend, prevent that from happening. 
He said that he uh, welcomes regulation calling for independent audits, licensing regime and warnings such as uh, we get with nutritional labels on food. He does think that, you know, just like when Photoshop um, became a thing way back when the uh, general public caught on pretty quick as to whether a photograph was quote unquote real or uh, photoshopped, he thinks that will happen with AI too. But uh, what I found interesting, which is counter to what the EU seems to be doing, he said um, that he thinks the regulation should only apply to the very largest of companies and the largest of models. You can be a small company with a large model, I guess. Uh, And that there needs to be plenty Mm. of room for innovation from startups and open source initiatives without having to go through the heavy burdens. So you can kind of see the EU perspective and what Sam Altman is advising the US government perspective are not quite the same thing. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, mm-hmm. Um, ChatGPT looks like it's on track to break 2 billion with a B visits this month, which would make it one of the most accessed websites on the planet at this time. Um, so it's like our traffic then. Y- yeah, yeah, close. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. yeah, you probably shouldn't be on the same servers as them, just in case. Uh, you- You're probably not. No, we need to move off that shared hosting plan, Robin. <laughs> could you imagine if you were the reason that, could you imagine Turkish if you were the reason that, you know, GPT broke because TechEU got too much traffic? Sorry, you got to wait in line. TechEU is experiencing heavy traffic right now. <laughs> uh, but the news for OpenAI didn't stop there this week. Um, they've rolled out the uh, functionality of real-time web browsing and access to the plugin store at beta level for all of their paid users, of which I am one. So I started playing with that yesterday. It works pretty much as you would expect. And then actually just last night, they launched an official iPhone app for running ChatGPT. There's been a lot of um, local developers around the world who've obviously built a kind of um, frame-based application that would allow you to connect through to GPT. I guess they're all out of business now unless you run Android. (laughs) Uh, And they've only launched that for US users. Now, that's not strange when they launched GPT. That was only for US users to start with. So it may be that they will roll out quickly for the rest of the world. Or it could be that they've looked at Google um, not rolling out BARD to the whole world and uh, are waiting to see what happens in the EU. Dot, 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 to be continued. A couple of fun one-liners. Can I jump in to do some low-key name dropping here? Because Sam Altman sent me a message a couple of days ago uh, that he can't make it to the Tech U Summit in Brussels next week because he had to prepare for effing... Congress. It was the day before he appeared before Congress. Sent me the message. Did Did he really use the word "fucking Congress"? No, he didn't. I did. Damn. Uh, um, damn. But he he still uses face, <laughs> Facebook Messenger. If you did. Wow. That highly secure encrypted oh. messaging platform. Yeah. That right. One. Oh. Okay. All right. Well, uh, Nick, you. I know. I know you've. Uh, Nick, I. We're man, not done. This show. We're how long done. are we? We. We. I know you're so not done. But this show is running long as it is. All right, bu- Buzzfeed me right through the the one-liners. There we go. So, uh, Zoom announced a new partnership with Anthropic's uh, uh, Claude um, AI. That's uh, Anthropic is is somehow connected to OpenAI. I haven't really dug into how that works, uh, but that's actually one of many uh, AI tools. So, Zoom appears to be going for a kind of federated perspective of bringing in great AI tools for specific things. So, if you're a Zoom uh, user, expect more of that coming at you soon. Um, BuzzFeed had their uh, investor day this week and uh, just one week after laying off its entire news team, um, their uh, uh, CEO, Jonah Peretti, uh, said over the next few years, generative AI will replace the majority of static content, unquote. So that's uh, uh, kind of clear where he thinks the internet is going in terms of content and what that's having 
uh, going to do with jobs. And then lastly, uh, just yesterday, 20th Century Fox or 20th Century Studios, as I think they're now called, um, launched a, uh, a trailer for a new movie called The Creator, and it looks pretty epic. Uh, it's uh, about um, the humans fight in a kind of post-dystopian robotic AI has gone rogue world. And uh, to be honest, they uh, use Aerosmith's Dream On in um, the trailer, and I was already done. I heard that, and I was like, let's go. Sing with them. Sing for the years. Sing for the laughter. Sing for the tears. And now I've ruined it for you. Yeah, now I say that maybe it wasn't Dream On, but it was definitely Aerosmith, and uh, I'm all good with that. (laughs) Well, thank you, Nick, for checking in the world from the eye of the tiger. Uh, You know, fun fact, though, at the uh, upcoming TechEU Summit, Robin? Robin's muted himself. He's on mute, so I think he would be saying maybe. 24th at Brussels Expo. That's next Wednesday. Thank you very much for asking. And yes, Dan, indeed, we do have content about AI on the main stage. Not one, but two sessions. One about charting a way forward for ethical AI, balancing innovation and responsibility. And the second, superpowers for humanity, mastering the art of AI for success and human connection. I like the direction you're taking with these. Good job, Robin. Thank you, Nick. And I'm guessing the term AI is going to come up in more panels than just those two. Hi. I have an AI question, actually. Do you know, like in these films where you're saying about the creator, where we're like we're having a battle as humans against robots because robots are perhaps coming a little bit more human-like? Do you know the dogs? No. Do they stay they, like they... dogs? Because I'd love that. Do you know what I mean? Like if they stay just like little no, no, no. cute dogs. I'm sorry, but just... James Cameron is also working like... on a film about this, so I can't say more. But it's really going to be called the Chemovator. Oh, it's going to be about a dog that works for BHS. Let's go pet checking it. Then, Speaking <laughs> of running long, this show has gone on stone. way too long. Robin, I know you've got one more thing, and in the sake of time, kill me. I'll make it short. He promises, but never does. Um, no, I wanted to talk about one interesting article that I uh, saw on Politico, which was about artificial intelligence, of course, uh, taking a bite out of the Brussels bubble in its own unique way by killing the translators. Well, not, not effectively Wait, killing what, them. What? Yes. <laughs> I mean, nobody's Speaking been reported. James Cameron. Nobody's been reported missing God, or dead yet. Go wild. But um, they, they, are, they are taking their jobs, um, not even slowly, just steadily. Um, the translators are, of course, uh, for those who don't know, quite essential cogs in the complex EU machine. Uh, every single official text has to be translated in uh, the 24 working languages of the EU before they can be entered into force. So you can imagine you know, that's one of the, the longest running departments uh, in Brussels institutions. Uh, but AI and automation in general is, of course, taking their jobs. Um, the, the latest figures indicate that the translation units shrank by 17% over the last decade. Uh, and that's only going to accelerate, of course. Um, there's good news, uh, too. I mean, even the, translators really? thems- <laughs> even the translators themselves say, hey, this is technology that saves us time. So it's mostly the entry-level juniors who can't find new work or mm-hmm. you know, are stuck doing post-editing. Uh, instead of actual translation work, that sort of thing. But it's a very interesting article. Uh, if we're going to talk about AI in the EU, as we have done in this episode, that's a very, very nice uh, sort of sideline article to read. Well, Robin, 
Thank you for that. No show would be complete without. I'm sorry, Fiona. I've got to do this because he 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 is the founding editor, so he does have the right to do this. Ladies and gentlemen, I apologize in advance on behalf of our founding editor, Robin Vouchers. Robin, over to you. I can't really see it, uh, dear listeners, but uh, both Nick and I have something called facial hair. Nick is more more than I do. Nick, do you, do you like your facial hair? Yes. Otherwise, I wouldn't have it. <laughs> yeah, well, well, I I I do too, and I, I used to have it, but then over the years, uh, I used to really hate facial hair, really hate it. But over the years, it kind of grew on me. Oh, God. <laughs> Jesus. And on that bombshell, that's all the time we have for the show this week. As always, my name is Dan Taylor. I've been joined on base by Robin's underwater and bad dad jokes. Nick Stevens on ukulele. Fiona is always jamming out on lead guitar, and Kate is laying down the drum tracks like none other. Thanks a lot for joining us, folks. Have a great weekend. We are off to the summit next week. When is that, Robin? Wednesday, 24 May in Brussels Expo. Thank you for asking. So we will be there, but we have planned to do a wrap-up edition. We've got lots and lots of content, I'm sure, that we're going to want to talk about. Otherwise, that's it for us, folks. We are out of here. Hugo Chavez did great stuff. All right, I'll do it again. Hang on. See, there, that's going to be the end. That's going to be my end right there. Isn't it?